You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Our scripture today is from Luke 16, 19 through 31. There was a certain rich man who clothed himself in purple and fine linen and who feasted luxuriously every day. At his gate lay a certain poor man named Lazarus who was covered with rags and sores. Lazarus longed to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Instead, dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. While being tormented in the place of the dead, he looked up and saw Abraham at a distance with Lazarus at his side. He shouted, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm suffering in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your lifetime, you received good things, whereas Lazarus Lazarus received terrible things. Now Lazarus is being comforted and you are in great pain. Moreover, a great crevice has been fixed between us and you. Those who want to cross over from here to you cannot. Neither can anyone cross from there to us. The rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers. He needs to warn them so that they don't come to this place of agony. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They must listen to them. The rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will change their hearts and lives. Abraham said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, then neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kathy, and thanks be to God. Hell is such an interesting place. And I've come to, to see that, that, that we have three types of hell. And one type of hell is a place where you can, if you're a hell raiser, you can be with your friends. Uh, if you, any of you saw the TV uh, series, The Good Place, there was an English poet named Rudyard Kipling who wrote a lot of really wonderful poems um, in was called Barrett's Ballads. And one of them was the poem called Gunga Din. It was a poem about a, um, a British soldier in India in the 1800s who, who gets badly wounded and, and the man who comes and saves him is what they call the regimental beastie, really a little more than a slave who would carry water to the soldiers. That was Gunga Din. And the last verse goes something like, 
when I'm dead and gone and go to where there's always double drill and no canteen, he'll be squatting on them coals, giving drink to poor damn souls, and I'll get a swigging out from Gunga Din. So, hell, to be with, with where you think you should be and with those that you were with. Hell is also a place, third, a second type of place, is where you can send your enemies, you know, for revenge. Probably the, the uh, great poet, uh, the greatest for that was Dante. Dante wrote the poem, The Divine Comedy, where he takes the traveler himself, as the poet, through hell, the inferno, and then to purgatory and then paradise. And of the three books, the most interesting one is his inferno, his hell. That's where we got this idea of the different rings of hell and punishments fitting the crime. And he had a lot of fun putting his enemies in those various rings of hell. For some of you my age, you might remember a cartoon script um, by Jimmy Hatlow called Hatlow's Hell, where he would pretend to give little tours of, of hell and in them would be the people getting the just punishments. And I remember one of them showed people tied to rocks and the um, imps would be taking these doors on springs and pulling them back and letting them go. And the little tour guide saying, and these are the people who used to slam the door in your face, where you can send your enemies for revenge. And then there's the hell, the hell of God's wrath that You'll be punished for your wickedness and my wickedness and for our unbelief. And probably the most famous picture of that was by a minister named Jonathan Edwards, who in 1741 in Enfield, Connecticut, gave this incredible sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Quite any sermon. Let me give you just a flavor of it. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He's a pure eyes that bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful venomous servant is in ours. You have a Bended him infinitely more than ever a stunned rebel is prince. There is no other reason to be given why you have not gone to hell, since you have been sitting here in this house of God, provoking his pure eyes by your sinful, wicked manner of attending his psalm worship. <laughs> Quite a sermon. As a matter of fact, people were reporting that during that sermon and afterwards, people, men and women, were falling in the aisles, shrieking in horror and um, coming to the altar that a wrathful God will punish your wickedness. By the way, in our United Methodist theology, there's some ambiguity. It's no hell, but rather described as an outcome after the new kingdom that the resurrected wicked will suffer, quote, endless condemnation. I remember being in seminary and talking about hell and, and giving my particular view of hell. And one of the seminarians who was listening reacted in total rage. I can still see the look of just hatefulness on his face. 
Did Jesus believe in hell? Brian McLaren, in, in, in the book we've been following and working, seems to say so. He says this at page 113 in, in this week's chapter. Who was going to hell? Rich and successful people who lived in fancy houses and stepped over their destitute neighbors who slept in the gutters outside their gates. Proud people who judged, insulted, excluded, avoided, and accused others. Fastidious hypocrites who stained our who strained at gnats and slaughtered camels. And who, according to Jesus, was going to heaven? The very people whom the religious elites despise, the deprived, avoided, excluded, and condemned. Heaven's gates open wide for the poor and destitute who shared in few of life's blessings. The sinners. Pretty simple. Did Jesus believe in hell? I certainly believed in a judgment, but not in the hell that I've just described, whether a place to be with your fellow sinners or a place of revenge or a place of God's wrath. Think about it for a moment. That for so much as a single act, God can find one created in his own image and likeness to an eternity of suffering. Now, those among our more fundamental brothers and sisters would have God so act for anyone who did not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're saved. If you don't, you're going to hell. Does that make any sense? Let's try a thought. A little girl is born in the hills of Pakistan. She grows up in a Muslim family. She never hears about Christianity, never so much as Jesus Christ. The little girl dies of typhoid when she's eight. Does she go to hell for eternity? Does that make any sense? Even to describe it, there's no to that. Well, we can't know what's in God's mind. Mm -hmm. So what about the totally wicked? Isn't there justice? Justice for eternity? You know, there's only so much wickedness you can do in your 50, 60, 70, or 80 years, and for eternity? Well, you might be asking, what about the really, really, really bad ones? You know, the, the concentration camp guards, or the racists who kill, or, or the child molesters, or fill in the blank. Sin has its consequences. Sin leaves a mark. And I'm not saying that evil goes unpunished. But we're talking eternity here. We're talking an eternity of endless, terrible punishment. And who is considered wicked? Sin leaves a mark. One that love conquered through the cross and one that will conquer in God's new kingdom. That new kingdom where all of creation will be healed, where all things made new, perhaps even the wicked. The gospel isn't about the simple dichotomy of a hell for bad people and a heaven for all the rest of us. 
to say that or to believe that is our theology. It's creating a God in our own image, an image that really, really wants revenge. It makes God into our little mascot who, as Anne Lamont brilliantly says, hates all the same people we do. But the gospel's not about revenge or torture or hate for even for a moment, never mind an eternity. The gospel is about a new kingdom where all creation will be healed. Which brings us to today's scripture, Lazarus and the rich man. What exactly did the rich man do? He ignored the poor man. He didn't hurt him. He didn't do like the crooked judge we hear about in the gospels or, or like those who, who torture, hurt, or a murderer or adulterer, or one who acts in any of the many ways that Paul loves to talk about. What we have here is the example of Matthew that he gives us in chapter 25, that judgment of the nations, that one where the separation of the sheep and the goats, those who, who did things to the least and in doing that recognized Jesus, and those who didn't do things for the least and therefore go to eternal torment. Now, as a rich man, our hero or villain here is probably did a lot more than just ignore Lazarus. There's a lesson in this lesson. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your lifetime, you received good things, whereas Lazarus received terrible things. Now, Lazarus is being comforted. You are in great pain. There was a common belief then, and by the way, we still have it today, that if you're successful in this life, if you are well off, if you if all things good are happening to you, then God is blessing you and you're a good person. The lesson within the lesson here is that that's not necessarily so. And by the way, did you catch the, the joke here? I put that in quote marks. The rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will change their hearts and lives, his brothers. And Abraham said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, then neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Wow. This is one of Jesus' parables. We know he will rise from the dead and we will follow him. No, what our rich man did was he made a choice of how he would live. Making choices. This story is about making choices. In this story of the rich man and Lazarus, we start with the choice to wake up, to wake up to life and our role in life, your role and mine. And that means three things. Life is to make choices. And choices have consequences. And we are taught in life what the right and wrong choices are. And that's laid out in Matthew's gospel, chapter 25, where those who do it to the least of my people and those who ignore the least. And it's also laid out in a lot of other places through the gospels. In today's vernacular, it means waking up. It means being woke, being woke to the other, 
to be woke, to have right relationships with God, with the other, with ourselves, with the world. Being woke is to follow Jesus Christ. Now, you'll hear people use the word woke with a sneer. Oh, they're woke or with a sneer. Following Christ has, from the very beginning, been sneered at. Indeed, Luke, in the same chapter that we read today, just before the part we were reading, has Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And the first part of these, this chapter 16 is about serving two masters. It's a setup for the rich and the poor, the rich man and Lazarus. But here's what Jesus says. No household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Pharisees, who were money lovers, heard all this and sneered at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves before other people, but God knows your hearts. So, you want to follow Christ, you're going to be sneered at. If you're going to be woke, you're going to be sneered at. The point is, you have the choice. And to follow Christ is to form relationships. See, the rich man didn't. How he treated Lazarus is probably a pretty good clue to how he treated everybody else in his life. To follow Christ is to form relationships, to love one another, even the enemy. Here's a test for you about hell and what you feel like about it. Do you really want to see your enemy in hell for all eternity when we're told to love our enemy? Hell is a choice. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Remember, Jesus said that to to Peter and to the church he will create. The gates of hell shall not prevail. But it's interesting. And Dante, in his poem, Inferno, he walks through the gates of hell because they've been broken. They were broken on Easter Sunday. C.S. Lewis, uh, in a wonderful book, called The Great Divorce, it's paperback, it's not that big. He talks about a hell that we make of ourselves, a hell that's just shadow and and really not substantial because Christ and the light is substantial. And this shadow world can be made by each of us when we fail to choose relationships over ego, when we fail to love and and instead work hard to hate, to rationalize our hate. Hell can be of our own making. Oh, and what did I say to that so upset my fellow seminarian? Well, it's a belief I picked up along my, my way. Only a fool would not believe in hell. But only a raving lunatic would ever believe that God would actually send somebody there. Amen.